Welcome to the Break the Chains, Find Your Flame podcast. My name is Steve Wopolinik. I'm a licensed mental health counselor and one of the founders of the Promethean Project. Our guests are people who have broke the chains of their limitations and found the strength of their potential. We offer their stories as inspiration and as guidance to help others navigate their quest to find their flame. Welcome, listeners. As always, this is Steve Opolinik, episode five. Um, today, our guest is Hermione Hamlin. She's an old coworker of mine who is on an, another level. She she's got some great experience with healing uh, in the healing arts. Uh, she's a great therapist, and we have a lovely time catching up and touching base. Now, she is a Reiki master also an angel messenger, an intuitive with years of experience in energy work, connection with spirit, mediumship, and angel readings. She maintains the ultimate belief that healing and connection can take on many forms. She's truly passionate about assisting others with transcendent empowerment through intuitive action, with the belief that assisting others with making informed decisions via spiritual intervention will inevitably make the world a better place. She practices meditation on a daily basis and connects with the spirit regularly. Over the past 15 years, she has formally and informally studied various energy and spiritual teachings. She holds a bachelor's degree in psychology from Howard University, a master's degree from George Washington University in community counseling, and a bachelor's and master's degree in divinity from the University of Metaphysical Sciences. She has years of experience in mental health and child welfare fields, and feels that this too is divine work. She's also a crafter who makes wreaths and has an, a small online business entitled HMH Decor. And she specializes in making personalized wreaths for various occasions, as well as refurbishing furniture pieces. Now, these this is only a part of what she does. Um, as we as you get into the interview, we we dive deep in, into some of these subjects. Uh, We hear about her past, her experiences, and what her story is, how she uses some of the gifts that she has in the work that she does, but then also how she uses them in everyday life, how she came into her gifts, and how she found acceptance in who she was uh, once she found out what her gifts were. We talk deep about energy work and spiritual guidance and how that's affected her life and, and shaped her life. We also talk about how awesome of a human being she is and how she gave uh, donated a kidney for her mother. And we get into some social justice uh, conversations, specifically around When They See Us, uh, which is a Netflix docuseries based on the Exonerated Five from New York in 1989. And we talk about how important this kind of docuseries is so that people can see injustice and help the world heal. We had a really good time catching up, um, touching base on where where she's at and what she's doing in the world right now, and just talking about how to be a healer, what that means, and how to work with people where they're at, help people accept their gifts, and find out who they truly are, or accept who they truly are. So without further ado, and this is episode five. In a world where humanity's potential is imprisoned and locked away, our only hope is to break the chains and find our flame. I always toy around with how to start um, the introduction of the podcast. Usually it's just been like, hey, welcome to episode five. Are you going to um, be like, yeah, boy, like <laughs> flavor flavor? <laughs> I love that reference. I think we've already just had our episode introduction with the funny voices and referencing <laughs> flavor flavor. So why don't we just start there? Uh, Hermione <laughs> Hamlin is our guest today. Welcome. Hey, thank you. Thank you for having me, Steve. Yeah, no problem. It, it's always an honor to talk to you. Um 
And, you know, at this point, it's been a long time since we've talked. So we've actually started working together in 2011, I think. Oh, my God. Was it that long ago? Yeah, because I was just right out of grad school when I started working up there in in, uh, Weymouth. Time has flown. Good gracious. Yeah. So um, we started working at a counseling agency that I I don't know if I want to promote them or no <laughs> don't do it <laughs> okay good so I'm not gonna promote them uh, but they had great um, great therapists there uh, I yeah. think for the most part a lot of the people we worked with I'm still in contact uh, with and Brenna actually followed me to a different job so you know oh wow I remember that though I think yeah was... I feel like I yeah it was funny because we both didn't talk about it and then after i announced i was leaving she was like no way <laughs> i love Brenna. yeah shout she, out <laughs> yeah she, I'll, I'll put her in the show notes um which means she better be listening okay yeah so uh you know i think i really wanted you to come on the podcast because not only um are you a therapist but i think in, in getting to know you one, we just hit it off over like eclectic hip hop, which I just yes. love. It's a passion of mine. Um, and I just love that you loved it too. And then two, um, you were one of the only therapists there who had a different like holistic approach to things. Um, uh, and I think, you know, that's all about where we're at with the nonprofit and, and really what I like to highlight. So I thought having you on would be a, a, a great companion to to what we're doing and just kind of picking your brain on your approaches to thing and things and your backstory around this too. Um, so I'll do a little introduction before this. Okay. Uh, I usually do it after the fact so I can edit everything in and then I'll talk solo to the listeners who we don't have a name for yet. Maybe you can help us out with that too. Cause like every podcast has like a a really cool name for the people that they listen to (laughs) the people who listen to it. And I have no idea what we could call our listeners. Uh, give me a moment to think about it. I'll hit you with something. Okay. It will come up later in the podcast. Yeah. I was toying around with like uh, Brekkies, <laughs> but it sounds too much like like Brekkies. Uh, but it, it sounds too much like breakfast fanatics. So uh, I, I don't gotcha. know if that would work. Um, like Prometheites? I don't know. Prometheites. I don't know. I don't know. That sounds too too biblical. I think. It does, doesn't it? Yeah. I don't know. We'll think of something. Okay. Um, so I guess to, to really start us off, um, why don't you uh, give us a little bit of, of a rundown of who you are, what you do, and, and kind of your path to, to get there? Okay. So what's really interesting is we did meet um, at a mental health clinic, but I kind of transitioned out of mental health, which is interesting, and more into child welfare. Oh, wow. Um, Yeah. So it was kind of an interesting switch um, to to get from that to this. But, um, you know, and I kind of moved up and down the East Coast a little bit. So I'm actually back in the state of Virginia, which is really interesting. Oh, nice. But yeah, right. Um, You know, my family's here. My mom's here. So I felt like it was time to kind of make that transition. Um, after being in Massachusetts for about seven years and enduring the snow of that for seven hard years. <laughs> so, um, but in terms of my own journey, um, you know, I have, a you know, degrees in mental health, masters in counseling, um, things like that. And at some point has started to pursue a doctorate degree. Um, And it was interesting because in that second year of pursuing that doctorate degree, I kind of realized that I didn't want a doctorate (laughs) in (laughs) psychology. And I was like, oh, snap, like, what am I going to do? I'm surprised you made it to the second year of that before you realized. Oh, I made it to year four. Oh, Um, wow. Yeah. And but it took me two years to kind of um, talk myself. I don't want to say out of it, but to kind of really come to the realization that my reasoning behind getting a doctorate wasn't for me, it didn't feel like enough to do it. Um, I felt like I was doing it for not the right reasons. Um, and you know, I think part of my journey and one of my biggest lessons for myself is kind of just 
being completely um, honest and genuine um, with myself and what I want and what I desire outside of what other people's expectations are of you. Um, And I think that's a huge message that, you know, I've kind of gotten repeatedly. I feel like, you know, spirit, God, whomever you call it, will kind of do these things where you kind of get bumped upside the head. Um, You know, first you get like a gentle pluck in the forehead, you Mm. know, then might get you know hit upside the head with a pillow and then the next thing you know an (laughs) anvil is dropping out of the sky and you're saying why me but it's because you've been getting these hints and um kind of this guidance throughout this whole life process and you haven't been behaving in a way or doing things that bring you closest to your genuine self or your genuine purpose so um so in that second year of that doctoral program i started simultaneously working on um a degree in metaphysical sciences <laughs> online, which is really, amazing, <laughs> right? Which is really interesting, right? Yeah. So, but the crazy part about it was that I was a hardcore skeptic, even still. So I just found I feel like that's another story of my life, just the story of conflict and contradiction, um, and you know, within myself. But I went in skeptical, um, and I think prior to that, I had um, looked into. Um, Reiki, and I don't know if you're, you know, familiar with the Reiki, um, yeah, but, know. you know, the energy, um, basically energy work, energy healing. Um, and so kind of went into that skeptically um, while kind of pursuing this this online degree. And this was all happening around the same time as I was about to donate a kidney. So it was a whole bunch of stuff just kind of happening in my life at the same time. Right. And I was having a hard time distinguishing between what was what. So um, while working on this doctoral program and in this online school, a big part of the study in that school was there was a lot of like meditation, right? So, you know, it really got you into daily meditative practices, but through different guided exercises. So I was meditating like twice a day for the most part, in addition to working, in addition to going to school, in addition to online classes. So it was real interesting. But um, it's a pretty lazy time in your life. Right. I mean, I wasn't doing anything <laughs> at all. Like what what in the world? But um, it was crazy because during one of those meditations and it would happen kind of sporadically where my left hand would kind of twitch. Um, but I didn't really pay any attention to it. I'm like, maybe I'm, you know, having a a deficiency in some type of mineral or vitamin or something like, you know, cause your mm. muscles switch occasionally. Yeah. Like, um, uh, magnesium is really good for those. Yeah, exactly. So, but during one of those meditations now I'm right handed, but my left hand started twitching like insanely, like to the point of, I'm like, I kind of come out of my meditation and I'm looking at my hand, like why is my hand twitching? And so something was like, go to the computer and type. And I'm like, uh, okay. So I literally turn on my desktop, because that's the era that we were in, um, turn on my desktop computer and uh, my Dell, and put my left hand on the keyboard, and my left hand starts typing. Right? Right. So for people who may or may not know any of this, is technically automatic writing. Mm-hmm. So my left hand is literally going across the keyboard, and I'm having a conversation with something i had no idea what it was so i'm kind of going back and forth like what is this what's going on and um the message that appeared was i am your spirit guide my name is douglas i've been trying to help you but you think too much you have greater things to do life is a formality or life is a formality you have greater things to do and so that was the end of it and so that's a that's a one and amazing story and then two very articulate message right because i'm like and to this day and that had to have happened i was it had to have been like 2006 Mm -hmm. about 2006 ish right so mind you i'm in a doctoral program for psychology so at this point i'm thinking i'm clearly having some type of mental health crisis like (laughs) like (laughs) Yeah. I'm having a breakdown, like there's something going on, like, oh my God, I'm like, you know, in my head trying to diagnose myself, what in the world is this? Like, I'm crying at the computer, like, clearly I have lost my whole mind. So I reach out to a friend of mine and I say, 
oh my God, let me tell you what just happened to me. And she says, oh my God, that's amazing, right? She's, we're very similar in, you know, in our belief systems and kind of the work that we do. Right. And I'm like, no, no, no. But that would be awesome if you were telling me this story and I would totally be into it. But no, <laughs> I'm telling you this story and I'm freaking out. And she's like, no, girl, this is awesome. Like, oh my God, this is amazing, right? right. So I'm like, okay, this is nuts. So I happened to have to meet it was okay, and I'm remembering it was after I actually donated the kidney, but it was around that same time. Which is um, uh, another story I want to get into a little bit later, but go ahead. Okay, I got you. Um, but um, so then I have to meet a professor in the community. At the time, I was living in Washington, D.C., and I had to give him some paperwork for um, like an externship experience or something. I had to do like some paperwork. And um, I see him. We pull up at this gas station. I get on my car, I see him, and he says, hey, Hermione, how you doing? Now, under normal circumstances, I would have been like, oh, hey, I'm doing great. How are you? But something was like, tell him. And I was like, are you serious? I'm having this whole conversation in my head. And it's like, tell him. I'm like, tell him. No, I'm not telling him. He's a freaking doctor of psychology. Like, he's going to think I'm a nutbag. You're like, shut up, Douglas. Right, exactly. So it's like, tell him. And I'm like, oh, he's like, so how are you doing? I'm like, well, you know, um... I was in a meditation. I came out of meditation. I had an automatic writing experience with my spirit guide who told me that I think too much. He's been trying to help me. And life is a formality. I have greater things to do. <laughs> right? <laughs> do you say <laughs> it like, just like that, like in one breath? Right. Like, because I'm like, I'm waiting for him to have me committed. Right? Because I'm like, clearly, like, he's going to think I'm crazy. His response to me was, well, if the message is that clear, you have to listen. I'm like, what? Like, so I'm like, amazing. oh, right, right, craziness. So then Hermione being the weirdo skeptic that she can be at times, I go to this, um, there was a one selective event that I used to go to was like, I believe it was like the first Friday of the month with this woman named Ava Laura Bahari. So um, she's in Maryland um, and she's awesome, but she would have these, um, experiences where you know she would have some type of practitioner come either like a palmistress or someone doing Thai yoga massage or um, somebody doing readings or something like that and we would kind of have them present and then she would have other people have these services so like you could get a chair massage or whatever and we would have vegan foods amazing right yeah so at that time there was a woman there by the name of Althea Hughes who did angel readings and I'd had a reading with her done before but I was like hmm this is some cuckoo stuff happening in my life let me have her read me again just to see what the deal is so I you know have her I go to her and I say hey Althea she's like hey you know long time no see how you doing everything is great and she says well what do you want to know today and I said well who's Douglas and I, that's all I said she says to me okay let me tap in da 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 Oh, girl, Douglas is your spirit guy. He's been trying to help you, but he says you think too much. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, fine. But it's weird because it took me all of those different times to really finally say, okay, I'm not losing my mind and this is real. So in terms of, you know, my journey, that was a huge kind of turning point for me in realizing that, you know, this whole life thing, we really take it really, really seriously. And not to say that you shouldn't take certain aspects of it seriously and goof around, but I feel like there is a greater mission for all of us on this planet. And a lot of times we ourselves are the one thing that's getting in the way of us truly becoming the best versions of ourselves that we can possibly be. Right. That acceptance of, you know, right. our gifts or our abilities or who we actually are is Absolutely. always a, a huge roadblock that doesn't need to be that huge. Right. Absolutely. So, you know, that was part of my journey. And then, you know, I eventually came on up to Massachusetts. And I don't know if you remember, we had a receptionist at South Bay um, and an older lady who I felt like I met her to meet somebody else that kind of brought me into doing the angel messenger work that I do. Yeah. Um, 
and brought me into like these classes. And then eventually I became like a certified angel messenger and started reading cards. And, you know, then, you know, crazy stuff would start happening where, you know, I was seeing, um, you know, just entities. And like there was one time that I had gone to see a client and it was the most bizarre thing I've ever experienced in my life where I got into the house and there was something kind of weird about the house. And so I sat in my car for a little bit. You know how it was when we did the outreach therapy and we had to drive. I'm like in Randolph somewhere. Oh, yeah. uh, right. Going up, and, going up into like the eighth floor of different apartments yep. that just reek. And yeah, yep. it's something. Yeah, it was interesting. So I had gone to this house in Randolph and the house had a weird feel to it. But I was like, let me get out of my car and kind of go. So I opened up the door. I walk in still very strange weirdness in the house i look over to the left in the dining room and i'm seeing the soldier right but it's not a person like it's not a real person okay but it's like entity that i'm seeing and like look like a civil war uniform but when i see stuff i see impressions of stuff like i know people who are able to um kind of see spirit but like as a person like if i were sitting here face to face with you they see spirit like that i don't see it like that i feel like the spiritual realm is trying to protect me and protect me from having a heart attack because I think that if I <laughs> thought that way, it would be a problem for me. <laughs> so I see impressions of things. But I go into this woman's house. I see this thing in the corner. She says to me, do you want to step out on the porch um, to do the paperwork? This house feels very strange to me. So I'm like, okay, interesting. Go to the porch. The lady looks at me. And we're about to fill out the little intake paperwork. And she says, can I tell you something? And it sounds very weird. And I was like, well, what do you, what do you want? No, now, mind you, I'm supposed to be the therapist, you know, going to be a <laughs> right. client, right? So she looks at me and she says, this might sound weird, but you smell like a witch. I was like, I'm sorry, what? Like, what, what do you mean I smell like a witch? And she's like, I don't know, like, like incense or something. And I feel like, I feel like you're purple. And I'm like, you feel like I'm purple. Like, yeah, like there's purple light around you. Like, I feel like you're purple. Now, rewind. I had literally just gotten a, a pic of my aura probably like two weeks before that. And I can like, you know, totally send you the aura pic just so you can see it. But yeah, yeah, yeah the, 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 my aura, and I had one recently done this about the same, is very much like violet, purple. There's like some indigo in it, but it's very like purple. Right. Right. And so when she said this, I'm like, oh, crap, she's saying my aura. Like, really? Like, I'm at a therapist, like I'm at a therapy appointment with a client <laughs> in my aura. Yeah. So I'm like, game day decision. Like, what do I do, you know, in this situation? So I'm like, OK. I was like, yeah, 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 I'm purple. I was like, yeah, my aura is purple. I was like, you're seeing my aura. She's like, oh, OK, OK. And then we get into this whole conversation about this woman who has, you know, gone to see psychologists and, you know, they tried to put on medication for um, being paranoid. But in fact, what this woman was experiencing was she was having premonitions and like foresight. Mm -hmm. So she would call family members and be like, God, like, are you okay? I saw an ambulance at your house and da da da. da. And they're like, what the heck are you talking about? Like, there's no ambulance at my house. Like, what are you talking about? And then like an hour later, they'd be like, how did you know? So she was having these crazy premonitions about stuff and it was freaking her out to the point of having legitimate anxiety, but she was being diagnosed with like paranoia right. and some delusional thinking and things like that because of this gift that she had. And so in that moment, I was like, okay, so clearly my job in this moment is to, kind of normalize what she's experiencing um, and help her understand that, you know, she's, you know, it, these things kind of happen. Like you can see, have premonitions and you can see auras and it doesn't mean you're crazy. Um, and it's funny because after the, uh, after the meeting, I was like, yeah. And there's a guy in the corner. She's like, yeah, blue man. My son sees him too. <laughs> blue man. Yeah, it was a, yeah, the civil the civil war guy. Right, she was like, so Yeah, he's a soldier. And I was like, Oh my God. Like, what in the world? But um That's amazing. Um, yeah. You know what that reminds me of is um the I've read a lot of studies on like 
cultural like shifts related to mental health um, and how the culture informs mental health practices. And uh, you can look at it like really abstractly just mm -hmm. in the U.S. or you can look at it in different countries. And I think one of the most interesting articles I read was about shamanism mm -hmm. in different countries. I think this one was specifically in African tribes mm -hmm. and how people who are diagnosed with schizophrenia or delusions or paranoia um, have traveled to some of these tribes or even within the tribes. And really, the, you know, the shaman there has worked with them and really just helped them embrace certain gifts. Because um, mm -hmm. I do believe that, like, <clears throat> that's how your gifts can manifest. But if you if you're if you don't accept the gifts is where like the negative implications come in, like the negative symptoms come in. Um, so they worked with the tribe and kind of, and just came back in a what? sense, like without any of the um, unchecked symptoms. Right. Um, they right. still, they still saw things, but it, it wasn't so detrimental to their life. And I right. think that's a really interesting point to to pay attention to too is that you know life hits you with these things you, you know the the prick to the head and then the the slap and then the anvil mm -hmm. and if you keep denying certain aspects of this they manifest in different ways yep. your yes. brain and your body and the energy within manifest in different ways because not embracing those gifts or who you are or or you know those aspects of yourself uh, it starts to deteriorate your body, you, you know, your physical part of this world. Absolutely. No, I completely agree with that. I think you definitely have to really embrace it. Cause like I said, I was fighting it like forever, especially given the field that we're in. Right. So you talk about mental health. And so you're taught in school that these types of things are abnormal. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, and so, you know, for someone to see, you know, an entity or, you know, to talk to a deceased loved one, then they're mentally ill. It's not, you know, that they're really connecting. It's that there's clearly something wrong with them and we have to fix it and we have to medicate it because that's not normal, quote unquote. Right. And I, it's funny that you, you mentioned the abnormal, um, when I was going to UMass undergrad, I took an abnormal psych class mm -hmm. and it really spun me into a depression. Um, yep. and I didn't know the, the more I, I think about it now, it makes sense to me. But at the time I had no idea where that was coming from because on paper I had nothing to be upset about. Um, and I know that depression is, is deeper than that. Um, but, mm -hmm. But I think what it was, was I was seeing all these concepts about abnormal psychology. And even that label of abnormal carries right. with it like a, a pretty heavy weight. And getting into the nitty gritty of it and studying it became really like energetically draining for me. And I found myself completely, this one class in particular, completely questioning if I wanted to do psychology at all. Mm -hmm. And I started thinking like, oh, should I join the Air Force? My dad joined the Air Force. Maybe that's the way to go. Um, should I drop out of college? Should I change my major? I ended up changing my major to history and then realized it wasn't as exciting as watching a bunch of documentaries on history. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> and I changed my, my major back to psychology. But I, I think I really needed that reset in that moment. Right to prioritize my approach to this kind of work that we do. And, mm -hmm. you know, a couple of times that's, that's come up again, um, just like the concepts of abnormality with mental health. I was in a, a place in Springfield mess, uh, doing residential work and we had a presentation on personality disorders. And yeah. um I, I asked this question of the presenter about personality disorders and I was questioning, I, I said, yeah, this is great. Like, it's a lot of information. I appreciate you coming to talk to us about this, but how does this take like 
cultural bias into pro into factor mm-hmm. like how does this take uh beliefs into factor because a lot of times if you look at a, a different culture and you know go to any anthropology class ever and judge them from our lens and you know all these different countries all these different cultures are going to come up as like oh there is this flaw in you and that's a personality defect Mm -hmm. um and i was just kind of shoo-shooed because i was like i had a bachelor's in psychology i didn't have a master's in the time and this Mm -hmm. person just graduated with a master's they're like oh no it takes all that stuff into account and what i said to him how how can it though how can we judge based on the studies that we're doing here right in europe in the u.s you know in different countries but you know let's face it a lot of the mental health background has a perspective of a white male creating it mm-hmm. um how can we impose that and that that's something i've struggled with with diagnoses like doing this work yes and uh, that's why I do diagnoses for insurance-based yes. work, but I don't really check in on them all the time. Right, right. No, absolutely. You do what you is necessary to ensure that your client gets their needs met. Um, and a lot of times that is having to, for insurance purposes, put a diagnosis up there. I remember for me, I used to try to make it, you know, as light but stickable as possible. You know what I'm saying? Like, for as long as an insurance company would tolerate that specific diagnosis. So it can be challenging that whole, you know, having to diagnose. Right. You can't, you can't have an adjustment disorder for three years. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So that can be tough. But if we want them to get the services, you got to do what you got to do. Sometimes. (laughs) Sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes. I've, now, that being said, because, you know, diagnoses, are, I, I tell, when I meet with clients, I tell them, look, this is kind of an end to mean. I'm not really focused on what it is exactly you're diagnosed with, but I do talk to them about what I put down as diagnoses. Mm-hmm. Did you ever do that? Like, I find, I find some clinicians don't do that especially mm-hmm. if I have a client come in and I talk to them about their past clinician and I ask them, what was the diagnosis that you were going under? Mm-hmm. Uh, and most of the time they have no clue. Um, right. Did you ever used to talk about that with people? Absolutely. Absolutely. Cause I think that, you know, part of the rapport is the trust building part. And I think that you do have to be, um, you know, open and honest about what you're writing down on paper. Cause it's not like they won't ever have access to it. You know what I'm saying? Like, so I think that conversation is super important um, just to ensure that they know what's being said about it. Cause I mean, think about it a lot of times, depending you would sit in, in sessions, especially in those initial sessions, and you're note-taking. You know what I mean? Like, eventually you may kind of get out of the note-taking because, it just, you know, you have enough information to kind of, at that point, be more conceptual in your approach, and you don't have to do as much information gathering. But, you know, they see you writing stuff down. They know that you have to report to somebody. You know, you know they know that you're billing their insurance. So, absolutely, I would have those conversations with them. Um and depending on the diagnosis, you know, it, in the most gentle, you know, humanistic way possible, you know what I'm saying? Like, no, just really getting into it and answering any questions that they might have about what is being put down on paper. And I used to tell them, you know, these diagnoses are working diagnoses. You know what I'm saying? This is what I'm seeing now um, based on what you're telling me now. But, it, you know, at some point it could absolutely change and shift into something else. But just definitely um, ensuring that I have those conversations with them. That's important. That That's important everywhere. You know what I mean? Outside of therapy, but just in every aspect, just, you know, being upfront about things. I think when we're not just as humans, it gets in, into so much trouble and so many sticky, icky, little funky situations, you know? No, exactly. And I and I think you, you mentioned rapport building. I think that's one of the best ways to just get into rapport building is just being open and honest and and kind of letting them know exactly what's going on. Right. Right. I know for me though, 
when, because I feel like I go through ebbs and flows with these kind of gifts and these, um, like, kind of, I guess, intuitive beings. And so I remember, you know, being in a couple of of sessions with clients where I would get information, but it would be information that they didn't give me. (laughs) So that was kind of awkward, where I would literally, like, I remember being in one session with a teenager, and um, he was talking about, you know, he had a car, you know what I mean? And I was like, you know, kind of joking around with him, like, you know, what did you name your car? Like, you know, did you name it, you know, this or that or this? And um, he's like, no, I was like, oh, what about like Shelly? Did you name it Shelly? And he's like, no, but that's the name my mom gave it before she passed away. And I was like, oh, and he's like, how did you know that? And I'm like, hell, you know, crazy guess, you know. It's cool. <laughs> You're like, I, I like Adidas shell toe shoes, so I, <laughs> I came up with Shelly. Right, I'm allergic to shellfish, you know, so, <laughs> so that's how it came about. But so I had to be careful, like, with stuff like that, because it can, you know, stuff just crops up sometime, and you just have to, I guess, ensure that, you know, you're in the hat that you need to be in in that moment. Right. Yeah. How, how does, um, how do your gifts help you or hinder you in, in, in child welfare? Because I feel like that could be really overwhelming at times. Oh, my God. It's so overwhelming. I walked like five miles yesterday just because I couldn't, like, I was so stressed out behind how overwhelming this job is. But anyway, so um, I think that it's helpful um when i just had a situation recently actually where we were having a a meeting for a youth and um he you know we were having a conversation about the goal that we were recommending to the court and um how you know that might play into his next transition you know from group to another group home or group home to therapeutic foster home or whatever and um you know we're talking you know and the adults at the table were saying things like you know well it's really based on you know your behavior and we want to you know make sure that your behaviors are are better before transitioning and I remember feeling like um but I think you know but I think I am doing better and so I looked over him and I was like oh okay I was like I feel like you feel like your your behaviors are already doing better am I right it's like, yeah, I think I'm doing better, so I don't understand. And so I kind of have to just kind of break that down a little bit. But it's, it's helpful because a lot of times the kids that we deal with, because we have them at the table a lot of times if they're old enough to, you know, really engage in the decision-making process and, um, you know, all of that good stuff, we have them at the table with us. And a lot of times they don't have the words to really express um, what they're feeling or what they're thinking. So it doesn't happen all the time, but sometimes some crop up and I'll be like, is this how you're feeling? You know, and I'll act like it's a guest, like, is this how you're feeling? You know, da, da, da. Yeah. and they'll be like, yeah, yeah, that's, that's it. And I'll be like, okay. And so I think it kind of helps, um, them communicate maybe what they're feeling and don't have the words or the emotional capacity in that moment to express. That's amazing. Yeah, it's weird, but don't tell my coworkers. <laughs> <laughs> Just don't share the podcast with them. You'll be okay. Right. I'll keep it a secret. Yeah. Um, so that is going to bring me down this this line of of, of conversation that is a, is kind of connected to what we're talking about, but is is really pertinent and something that I think you would agree with me uh, is really important to talk about. Is have you watched when they see us? Okay, let me tell you about when they see us. Okay, Steve. Um, so I attempted to watch the first 30 minutes of the very first episode like two weekends ago. Okay. And I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. I tried. And so I think I've gotten through the first couple of episodes, maybe the first two and a half episodes. But I haven't gotten the entire series. I am struggling with it and i think it's because i am an empath um that i feel everything especially now there's something happening um 
I don't know, energetically, that is just making me hypersensitive to everything. So I'm feeling right. everything like super, like on a thousand. Mm -hmm. um, and so I'm trying to kind of tone that down a little bit. So every emotion that I'm having at this point is like a billion times what it would normally feel like. So, you know, in watching that, um, doc, that I guess you call it a docu-series, um, I'm definitely struggling because I guess the level of um, inhumanity and just outright, I don't know, disregard for human life or human experience is just, it's a bit much for me, but um, I'm going to get through it. I promise. Yeah. I mean, so for anyone who doesn't know when they see us as a docu-series that based on uh, a couple of cases that came out of Harlem, New York, in 1989, I believe, mm -hmm. um, where five uh, young kids of color were convicted of a rape that they had no dealing with. They weren't even involved whatsoever. They were coerced by the local uh, police and the district attorneys. Um, and they, they went to juvenile uh, detention centers and then later jail, except for one of them who was 16 who went straight to Rikers. Mm -hmm. Um and it, the reason why we bring it up is because we were talking about child welfare and I watched the docuseries and it's probably the hardest thing I've ever watched, mm -hmm. especially the hardest thing on Netflix to watch. Right. And the first episode that you, that you got through, um, I was crying and sick to my stomach at the same time. Uh, right. It, and that's a new experience for me watching something. Um, and they did a fantastic job in this docu-series, but then when you realize this all really happened, it just hits you harder. Right, and, and I... Oh, go ahead, I'm sorry. Uh, it took me a while to get through all four episodes, too, um, but I, I think it's something that everyone has to watch, just about mm -hmm. the level of injustice and yeah. intensity that's out there and what people... Mm -hmm. You know, back then, but even now still have to deal with and I think that's you know energetically I think there's a shift going on right now um and I think this keys into it and I believe there's a cycle that of energetic shifts that happen mm -hmm. and I think it'd be really easy to to pause it and and shut it off and never come back to it mm -hmm. but that's that's just going to keep that cycle going and we have to shift and we have to adjust and Last night, I was actually watching Oprah Winfrey also has a special on Netflix mm -hmm. where she interviews um, the actors and then um, the exonerated five. Um, mm -hmm. They were called the Central Park Five, but they were exonerated um, of crimes. Um, but and that was a little bit more lighthearted until you you talk to until she started talking to the exonerated five. And I was just tearing up again. Um, right. Because it's so, you can see the pain that they've gone through and, and, and what they've lived through. And right. so for anyone listening, you should definitely check it out. Give yourself some time. It's not a, you know, it's a marathon. It's not like a sprint. Um, but it's, you need to watch it and, and you know, be a witness to it. Um, and the guy that plays Corey Wise is amazing. Mm-hmm. Okay. He's just his episode four. You see more of him, and he just does an amazing job. Um, but yeah, you know, I didn't want to take it down like this this sad road. But I really that's what I was thinking of when you were talking about child welfare, and I really feel like I want to put that message out there that we have to to see mm -hmm. these things that are really hard to see because mm -hmm. we can't hide from them anymore. It's just not going to move us forward. Right. And that's really the only way to truly heal. And I think that this country has a great deal of healing that needs to take place. Um, and thank goodness for docu-series and documentaries and, you know, things of that nature to kind of put the stories out there. I think Ava DuVernay has done an amazing job because I don't know if you've seen 13th. I, I did. Um, I didn't really I didn't make that connection, but both of which are just amazing. Right. Yep. So she has just been doing an amazing job of just kind of bringing these 
truths to light. Um, and I know for me as a, a woman, you know, a black woman, um, in America, even though I'm not, you know, I, ha- I didn't necessarily experience the civil rights movement and all that stuff. I'm not quite that old, but I think that I've experienced enough of the subtleties and unfortunate subtleties of, of you know, racism and systemic racism to know that these things happen. And it's almost like she's, um, I don't know, I think as black people, and I don't want to speak for everybody, <laughs> but... <laughs> from my personal experience I can say that she um is really making it so you're like oh I wasn't going crazy right like I knew this kind of stuff happened like in the black community you know these things happen right you know that um people are unfortunately basically bullied into testifying the things that they didn't do that they're beaten and then it's you know kind of hidden um that they're lied on you know we as a community we've known these things happen um but for the longest time you know we don't we, we didn't feel believed right like it's you know oh mm-hmm. no the but are you being paranoid or you know you sure you're not being overly sensitive about that like are you sure she was following you around the store are you sure they were giving you dirty looks and it's like yes i'm not crazy and i feel like you know through um these types of docuseries and things like that is kind of putting it to light where it's like, okay, so now people will actually see that these things really happen like for real, for real. And, you know, black folks aren't just making it up. Right. So, you know, I think that, um, you know, like you said, definitely these things, although hard to see, will hopefully facilitate um, a healing process. Right. Country, Yeah. And and I think that that's important because I, I, I think as our country moves to this weird place of, of um, you know, just polarized opinions, mm-hmm. um, we really need to find a place to heal together. Um, right. But there's always going to be those outliers. I know that since this this docuseries came out, there have been a lot of people doubling down on their positions, specifically... Mm-hmm. You know, the well, one of them's our president uh, and the other one is the, you know, the women uh, in who, like the attorneys that got portrayed in a negative light. Um, right. We're really denying it. But the, the fact that it, I don't want to talk too much about it because I think people actually have to he- see have the to process see and, and really understand it. But um, I do think you're right that this is where the healing takes place and um the healing of our country. Um, this is how we get there. Right. I always bring up the analogy of the pearl mm-hmm. and how, you know, in order for a beautiful pearl to be formed, there has to be like a grain of sand that gets caught up in the shell and like there's a bunch of agitation that occurs. But then in the end, you end up with this beautiful thing. And I think for me, you know, people can call me a, just sad little optimistic person, but I feel like <laughs> all of this emotional upheaval and that's happening right now is so that we can get that pearl in the end. So, you know, that's going to always be my hope. I'm going to hold on to it. Um, just kind of given the nastiness is happening now. So right. I'm, I'm looking for the pearl, Steve. Keep looking. Cause it's there. We, we all got to get there together. Right. Um, it's, it's a it's a tough journey um but we have to keep taking each step one of my favorite uh, quotes i think this is a good time to to offer a good quote for the listeners is uh, it's actually from a a sci-fi fantasy novel but it sounds a little dorky but it it really is a good quote um, because you you hear so many quotes talking about making that first step um, but in this story, there's a really good, you know, conversation between two of the main characters and, and what it boiled down to was a conversation about that journey and what the most important step is on that journey. And it's the way I end every podcast, but it's also something I, I hold true to um, my approach to life is it's not that first step on that journey. The most important step is always the next step. Mm-hmm. And 
again, it, it, there's some level of geekdom to that, but it's so it's so simple, but we forget it all of the time. So many people are like, just get going, take that first step, you're on your way. But right. each, I mean, it's a it's a hack to pretty much any every step of the journey is important, and the most important is the next one because you have to keep going. Absolutely, no, that's not dorky at all, Steve. I love it. Well, I, you know, to be fair, I use geeky and dorky as terms of endearment. So yes, I'm for it. <laughs> which, which reminds me, when we worked together, I don't know if you remember this, but I working with kids, I had a lot of action figures there. And I remember. When, and when people no showed me, I would set up the action figures in the in the staff room, <laughs> and just in these weird positions, uh, hanging from the ceiling, uh, to hopefully brighten <laughs> people's day. I remember that. That was awesome. <laughs> um, so I, I mentioned earlier that I wanted to get back to one of the stories that you alluded to and, and one that I think I found out very early on from you and, and just always amazed me was uh, you're donating. Um, it was your kidney, right? Yep. Um, can you tell us a little bit about, about that story if you don't mind? Oh, no, that's fine. Um, It's one of my favorite stories. So um, in my family, we have basically, well, on my mother's side, I'll say, my maternal side has a history of kidney disease, right? So my mom had gotten to a point of um, going into chronic kidney failure, which means that, you know, she has a bare minimum percentage of kidney functioning and she would have to go on dialysis. So um, my mom was probably on dialysis for about three and a half years or so. She, um, you know, we were looking, hoping that, you know, something would come up off this. Um, It's interesting, too, because you have a lot of people who, you know, say they would come forward, you know, in the event of something like that, but nobody really came. Or if they did, they had health issues that, Uh, made it so that they weren't able to donate. So um, she was on dialysis. I was currently in grad school, but like the doctoral part of it. Um, And she, we got to a point where, you know, I'm going back and forth from D.C. to Virginia to get tested. D.C. to Virginia for more tests. D.C. to Virginia, D.C. to Virginia. Because the the transplant center was in um, Norfolk, Virginia. Virginia, um, Sentara Norfolk General Hospital. I think there's a new name for it now, but I'll just reference it as Sentara. Um, and so we got to the point of the testing where um, I discovered that we had a, um, I think it was called, it was so long ago, I want to say it was called a negative cross match, okay. where if I were to give her, it might, it's either negative or positive, but you know, don't quote me, but um, where if I were to give her my kidney, her body would reject it. And so I couldn't donate. And I'm my mom's only child. So, you know, needless to say, I was completely devastated by the fact that I couldn't give her a kidney, especially after kind of these months of testing and checking in with social workers to ensure that, you know, I was in my right mind, basically, and, you know, kind of processing the idea of a kidney donation. Right. And um, in my and it was weird because I was grieving the fact that I couldn't give her a kidney. Right. So but in my grief, I had a moment of like an aha moment where I remember that I had gone to a nephrology appointment with her. And the doctor had said that in the event that I didn't match, I could participate in what's called a kidney swap program. So um, I you know, basically presented my mom with that, like, you know, what if I, you know, participate in this kidney swap program, that way I would give my kidney to someone who needed it um, in in exchange that would put her higher or at the actual top of the list um, for a kidney that matched her. Right. Um, So, so at first she was completely against it. Um, she was feeling a lot of guilt behind me even needing to put myself in that position. She was feeling um, guilt by the fact that if I donated to somebody else that she would get a cadaver 
donation or someone who, you know, potentially died in a car accident and was an organ donor and she didn't want anyone else to have to die to give her life. Right. Um, so she struggled with that. And because I am a strong believer in um, intention vibration, right? So because she had these kind of funky emotions about getting a kidney, my understanding was like, well, she's not going to get it until she's really ready to receive it. Um, and so eventually I kind of convinced her, yeah, just let me donate, please. Like you're my mom, you only get one mother, like, you know, just, just let me do this for you. You gave me life. Please help me, you know, extend your life. Right. So eventually, um, she agreed to it. And on June 26th, um 2007 i was able to um donate a kidney to her so i actually i call it a kidney anniversary so i have a kidney anniversary coming up on the 26th of this month nice um, yeah and it was just a real interesting process um one that i would definitely i said if i had to do it all over again i would do it all over again um just because you get opportunity to help somebody else. And so I gave anonymously. So to this day, I have no clue who I gave a kidney to. Right. Um, and then after that, so she had been on dialysis for about, you know, three and a half years at that point. And after I donated on June 26th, we had two false alarms where the first time she got there and they couldn't wake the kidney up. The second time she got paged, which was probably like maybe a few, a couple, maybe, a few months after that again like you know the kidney would wake up they couldn't get it to function and then about i think it was december the 15th um we it's funny because we got the page but my mother and all of her social butterflyness was out at a christmas party and had left her pager at the table while she was out you know flittering about taking pictures and you know socializing and so I recall I was at work because uh, at that time I was working part-time in a private practice um, with a psychologist. I remember my cousin calling me and saying, you know, cuz, like, where's your mom? And I'm like, um, she's at a, a Christmas party. He's like, where, where? They got a kidney for And I'm like, they have a kidney for Like, what? Um, so I told him where she was. Um, and by the time he got to her at the Christmas party or where the Christmas party was, she had gotten the page was able to call back and was heading to the hospital. So um, I basically told my cousin, let me know once they actually put her in the operating room and then I'll be on my own. And um, she got it. She got the kidney that time. And it was just an amazing experience. Um, and just really, truly a blessing to be able to be a part of that, right? Because it's really big. You know, we yeah. think it's a big thing. And I think, you know, when I was in that moment, I really minimized it, maybe for my own just, you know, coping, right? Because the magnitude of it is a bit much. And I think to see people's reactions to it was overwhelming for me. So I think for me, I kind of had to downplay it in some sense in my head because it was just, it was too much. It was a lot. Right. Um, but it was just a blessing to be able to, to do that. So, you know, to your listeners, if you are not organ donors, please, please, please um become an organ donor whether you know it's you know at your passing or you know if you're looking for an opportunity to be a living donor because people really and truly need some assistance and some organs out there yeah i think i think your story has a, a beautiful symmetry to it of helping extend the life of the woman who gave you life yes but, but at the same time helping someone else out in the process and i think that's that's amazing it was definitely blessing i tell you i'm just i'm I, again i am blessed by the fact that i was able to because a lot of times even if you want to donate you can't because of health issues or something like that so i just thank god that i was healthy enough um to be able to help not only my mom but to help somebody else out who who needed a, an organ so I feel like I could talk to you for hours. Um, we didn't even get, I really wanted to talk about Howard because I feel like you probably had a, a bunch of stories about Howard and I just, I'm pulled towards that college. I think it's amazing. 
Uh-huh. Uh, we'll have to save that for, for a different time, though. Um, we'll have to do that too. Yeah. Uh, so I always finish the podcast with two questions. So I'm going to ask you these two questions. Um, and then I, I'm going to turn the mic over to you to kind of talk about anything, any last messages that you have for people or mm-hmm. anything you specifically want to plug or where people can uh, get chat at you for some more information. Um, so my first question is, if you had any superpower, what would it be? Oh my gosh! I already have superpowers, Steve. What are you talking about? That's my second question. Everyone always ruins my second question. I'm sorry. No, so I think. Uh, I mean, okay. So, I don't know. There are a few of them, right? Because I feel like I would love to be able to teleport places and just, right. you know, be on some. Oh, you know, let me go to Paris right now, like, and then I'm just there. You know what I'm saying? Like, no, that'd be, it'd be so, really convenient. Right, like how cool would that be? Especially like how I'm always late for work. Like, oh snap, let me get to work real quick and not have to worry about traffic, right? So I think teleportation would be um, an amazing uh, superpower. I mean, in addition to just being able to connect with spirit, everything and all. Right. (laughs) Then you'd be like a high epic superhero. In, in my right. terminology of like one of those overpowered superheroes that are there. Right. I'm here for all of it. Um, so th- you, you've already kind of alluded to the second question is what, what do you believe are your superpowers, whether um, energetic or just personality wise? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you know, I think my super, well, of course, one superpower is the fact that I'm a, a living organ donor. Like, you know what I'm saying? And I know it sounds corny. You talk about corny. Oh, hell yeah. That's a superpower. That's amazing. Yeah, that's that's a a significant superpower. And of course, the whole intuitive gift thing, being able to kind of tap into um, people's emotions and their energy and um, the ability to help shift and balance energy. I think that those are amazing superpowers. Now, in terms of personality, um... I think I'm pretty funny, Steve. I, you know, I think I have a decent sense of humor. I haven't um, laughed once during this podcast. Oh, of course you haven't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I would say my sense of humor is definitely a, a superpower. Somebody told me earlier, though, which I thought was interesting, was like, Hermione, you have the ability to just make people feel so calm. Like when you enter a room, you're just, your presence is just so calming. And I'm just like, okay, well, if you say so, if you only knew what was going on in my head, but I'll take that as a superpower, sure. Yeah, you have the ability to calm nervous systems. That's pretty awesome. Right, so. All right, so do you have any last messages for the listeners who we still don't have a name for yet? I'm going to think about the name. Um, In terms of just takeaway, um, I think one of the, the biggest things for me is um, just really tapping into that gut instinct. You know, some people call it intuition, some people call it gut, whatever, and really listening to that um, in order to ensure that you're making decisions that um, are, you know, in your best interest and bring you closest to the most genuine version of yourself if possible. Um, and you know, don't, don't try to please people. My God, like you only get one life, just live it, enjoy it, um, have fun with it. Like Douglas said, you know, life is a formality. You have greater things to do. Um, don't get stuck in the the seriousness of it all. Just, you know, do what you need to do to, to be happy, pursue happiness. Um, I tell people all the time, I am in an aggressive pursuit of happiness at all times. And so I will do whatever it takes (laughs) to ensure that I'm happy. And I, you know, I wish that for everyone else out there, that they aggressively pursue their happiness. Um, That's a a great phrase. Yeah. Aggressive pursuit. Absolutely. One of my other favorite like affirmations is um, the universe is conspiring for my greatest good. That's right. Yeah. That's fantastic too. Right. So, you know, if you think about it, it's like this whole conspiring to ensure that, you know, um, 
things are, are good in your life, regardless of all the icky, nasty, you know, stuff that might happen along the way, you realize, okay, all of this is part of a bigger plan. There's a conspiracy to help me out here. Um, I think that's awesome. Um, in terms of promotion of myself, um, I'm a crafter. I didn't mention that. So um, I actually have a little side business. Uh, where I do wreaths and furniture refurbishing, which is actually really cool. So if um, people want to check out my website, I'm at H, like Harry, M, like man, H, Harry, decor, D-E-C-O-R.com. And I'll put, I'll put your website in the show notes too, so people can um, pick that up when they listen. Very cool. And if they want a reading, um, if they check out the website, there's a number on that website that they can just reach out to me and schedule readings. I can do readings um, online over the phone or um, I can just read and send them kind of like this cool PDF document of the reading and the impressions I got. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. I agree. Oh, Helen is her name, right? Yes, you remember. Uh, it took me the whole load. Um, <laughs> shout out to Helen. Right. Helen's in North Carolina now. I know. Um, Living her best life right she posts sometimes on facebook she she looks like it's going good right helen i'm gonna i'm gonna tag you when i post this on facebook you definitely (laughs) listen to it hey helen (laughs) all right well thank you so much for for coming in and we'll be in contact i'll let you know when we can do a part two absolutely steve thank you so much for thanking and having me Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast. If you're interested in being a guest, please send us an email at info at theprometheanproject.org. If you're interested in getting more information, you can hit us up at that same email or visit our website, www.theprometheanproject.org. If you like what you're hearing, Please feel free to uh, give us a five-star review or do any kind of review that you feel is necessary. And um, hit that like, hit that share, let people know what we're doing. And as always, the most important step in any journey is the next one. We'll see you next time on Break the Chains, Find Your Flame.